Time and again, the world bears witness to truths seldom said. Lend an ear. We promise enlightened, informed conversation. My name is Robert, and this is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. Special guest today, Ms. Alexandra Lee, who is a mistress of a very difficult instrument, the violin, and is recognized for her expertise. Welcome to Seldom Said, Alexandra. Thank you. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I wonder if we can start with personal background, who you are, where you've been, and what's brought you to this time and place. Sure. Um, I, my name is Alexandra Lee, and um, I'm originally Korean, a Russian-born violinist. And um, But since I'm the seventh generation born in Russia, so unfortunately I don't really speak Korean, so it's, my mother's uh, language is Russian. And um, I was born in far east of Russia, in Vladivostok, in the family of um, the sea captain and uh, assistant surgeon. And... Um, I have we have no professional musicians in entire family, so I'm the only one. And um, when I was nine, my mom and I moved to Moscow, so I could attend Central Music School at the Moscow State Tchaikovsky Conservatory. And um, I studied with Professor Eduard Grudge there. I graduated from the school in 2013 and went to London to get the bachelor's degree, studying with. Dr. Felix Andreevsky. And uh, after I finished uh, Royal Fellowship Music, I came to New York City. It was last year, 2017, to get my master's degree in Manhattan School of Music in studio of Professor Albert Marcus. Um, what else? Like, <laughs> I'm a winner of 16 international music competitions. Um, such as Gershwin Competition, David Oistros International Violin Competition, uh, Television Music Competition, The Nutcracker uh, in Moscow, Rotary Music Competition, and here in New York, Lisbon International Music Competition. So this is pretty much like brief, <laughs> my brief resume. <laughs> Beginning with your attendance in Moscow State, a marvelous institution, until the last few years, you certainly have not studied and learned amongst mediocrity. Have you always been compelled to refine your art? Um, sorry, can you repeat, please? Most certainly. Some people might just take pleasure in being able to play. You do seem willing to spend the time and exert the attention so that you can play at an extremely high level. Have you always been so strongly motivated to excel on the violin? Uh, you mean my time in Moscow? Your time in Moscow, your time in the States, your time in Britain. Okay. There are some who go to a fine university, Alexandra, and don't succeed because they cannot turn their game up to be competitively proficient, you seem able to. Are you driven to excel? Uh, yes, as I understood you. Like your question is, um, if I was uh, like motivated to make it professional all my life, right? 
that and to become a professional who is recognized as someone singular? Yeah, um, you know, um, actually, when I just started to play violin, I was always sure that this is what I will be doing for the rest of my life, and I never had any other thoughts about other professions. So, yes, I was motivated from the very beginning, and I always um, knew that this is, like, not just for fun. This is the professional level, and I was always trying to um, be as, like, to do my best and uh, to be as professional as I could be and, like, very, I took it very seriously, always. So that's maybe uh, why, even though I was born very far away, like, even in Russia, uh, but I was always um, motivated to become um, I would say, like, soloist, yes, because I am trying to make a solo career. So, yes, I took it seriously. Returning to your description of a country of origin, I'm personally reminded of Pushkin, who wrote, of course, in the Russian language, but said that he decided to become a writer when he saw people in cabaret reading some of his poetry is there a moment in your life, Alexandra, when you said to yourself, this is indeed what I want to do for the rest of my life? Yes. Um, you know, um, I just, <laughs> I don't know, like, um, actually, uh, just felt this is my, this is what I meant to do, like, this is why I came to, I don't know, to this life, uh, and this is the only thing I enjoy for, like, a hundred percent deeply enjoy, like, not just because I cannot do anything else, but, <laughs> uh... I'm in doubt of that, Alexandra. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> like, yeah, I never doubt that this this was for, it, it was for granted, you know. Was there ever a time or a moment that is still alive in your memory, something that was so life changing and so pleasurable that you decided at that moment, this is what I wish to do, this is what I love to do. Do you have a childhood memory? Um, yes, of course, I have a lot of memories uh, about my first performances and first uh, lessons, like violin lessons. But there wasn't a moment, actually, um, as my parents tell me, it was, like, even obvious uh, for them from the very beginning of my life, because as a baby, I could fall asleep just when classical music played, in the room, particularly violin music. Um, and my mom is a great admirer of classical music, and she used to have a lot of vinyl records at home with world-famous soloists such as um, Viktor Tretiakov, Leonid Kogan, David Oistroch, um, Stislav Rostropovich, or Zatoslav Richter, and others. So once she turned on one of the records, 
um, and I was in the room, she just noticed that I was listening to it very carefully. And as soon as it finished, I started to cry. And she was really uh, surprised by that. And uh, furthermore, like I slept, only the music was playing uh, after that uh, moment. So uh, otherwise, I literally woke up and cried. So my elder sister always ran into the room and turned it on again and again to make sure that I stayed asleep. So my mom decided that uh, they will get me violins and try to give it to me and see how it will work out, turn turn out. Uh, so when I started to play violin, I never thought like about any, doing anything else. So my dad got me two violins when I was three years old, but I started at the age of five because of the health issues. So, yeah, it wasn't the moment. I, I remember, like, for example, my first performance on, like, public performance. Um, what I remember, it's, my mom said it's not the first actual performance of mine, but I clearly remember my feelings when I came to this stage. I was performing with the Far Eastern Symphony Orchestra as a soloist, even though I was, like, five years old. I played Zeit Violin Concerto. And I remember even how I was dressed up and uh, my feelings when I came to the stage and I saw the audience in front of me and I like even though I was really young a little child I realized that I enjoy it like I love it I never was scared of stage and I always wanted to play and perform more and more so yes that was great moments of my childhood, like when I actually knew that life and found out that this is what I want to do, uh, like not just practicing, not just playing violin, playing on the stage as a solid, particularly. So I loved that and uh, I still do. <laughs> playing with professionals at the age of five one in the West would apply the term prodigy to that. Do you believe in your own philosophy, in your own art? Do you believe, Alexandra, in the concept of genius, or do we overuse that term? Um, the concept of genius. Um, yes, I do believe that there are genius in this world, and, uh, for example, if you look at the paintings of great artists of Renaissance, for example, it's like just unbelievable to me. So it's not just people, I, I believe, that it's not just artists, normal humans. It's genius. So, of course, I do believe in the co concept of genius, but overusing this uh, is... Yeah, this is very dangerous when, for example, gifted children do something and their parents or teachers pushing them and uh, overusing their gifts, basically. And it happens a lot, and this is what I see quite often when I meet, for example, new students or just new kids, and I see that they're very, very talented and they have a great they might have a great future, and I really wish they will do, they will have it. But sometimes parents are too pushy, and uh, yes, this is 
uh, you know, I don't know, it's very complicated question, I think. There's some children, they just love working hard, even though they're young. But for some people, it depends on the personality, I think. some For some uh, children, it's too much. And at some point, they're just rejecting doing anything, uh, like, for example, what they used to do. And they just quit, uh, like, playing and stop doing anything connected to their profession. And, and my mom was also aware of that. And I remember that even though my teacher was quite hard uh, about performances and competitions, uh, because I participated in competitions every year, at least once a year, but my mom was always aware of that. And um, I don't know, like, she just built that uh, politic of me studying. And, like, I practiced a lot, of course, and I performed a lot, but... She always controlled that, uh, you know, line, I don't know, when she realized, for example, that I'm getting tired, not tired of performing, but just physically tired, for example. So I'm really thankful to my mom and to my parents uh, that they were, I don't know how to say that, like they're aware, yeah, of overusing me. I see. That's a nice way to put it, overusing you. It seems a definition of love, a parent knowing when to be patient. You have passion in your voice when you speak of your art, when you speak of your instrument and your music. There would be certain cultures that would argue that you can teach passion. We can both agree that one can teach the technique of violin playing, can you teach the love of the music? You know, this is a good question. And um, I remember my first, first violin teacher, even though I started with her just for three months, but I remember her very well. And uh, her lesson, every minute spent with her. And she was such a great human, first of all. She was such a great, uh, like, not just a teacher, but a woman. So she was a lovely person who taught me to uh, take music, not, like, seriously, I mean, not, um, how to explain. She taught me how to enjoy practice, uh, process, like, process of practicing, process of learning new repertoire, not to take it very seriously, like, I have to practice, I don't want it, uh, I don't want to do that, but I have to because I have to uh, learn, for example, new pieces. But she um, she spent uh, lessons with me. She divided, for example, uh, 15 minutes by 15 minutes, and uh, she was just... Uh, teaching me a lot of interesting things and she played with me. Like, it wasn't a serious lesson, like academic lesson, uh, but she just did it as uh, a game, you know, in the frame of game. And uh, maybe that's also one of the most, like, main reasons why I loved it, 
Of course, I loved it before starting playing violin, but if I believe that if it was the person who uh, was hard with me, for example, I believe that I might not love it as much as I did at the beginning. So, um, yes, you can teach. Of course, you uh, teachers uh, teach their students techniques, stuff, and uh, things, but you can kind of teach someone to love it. I believe so. Of course, you cannot teach uh, the passion, I think, because the passion is either you have it from the beginning or not. But the love, yes, I think it's not 100%, but it's possible for teachers to uh, give it to students. We're within one minute of what's proving to be a very interesting conversation, Alexandra. I'll have to intrude in a few seconds for our first station break, but then we'll return. You've designated a conceptual difference between passion and love. Now, the Russian language that you were raised in has any number of nuances into the way those words are used. American English it's pretty perfunctory and pretty precise. One loves, one has passion. Passion simply the expression of love. When we come back, I'd love to have your definition of what you feel the passion for a performance is and how that is distinguished and designated from just the very love of embracing a musical instrument and a piece. Bach loved, Bach had passion. I'd love to hear you discuss the delineations between the two. We're going to be back in a moment. This is Seldom Said. My name is Robert. This is Seldom Said with Robert Amato. Welcome back. The program is Seldom Said. Special guest, Ms. Alexandra Lee, a mistress of the violin, an individual who is able to take that instrument and sing songs with nature Alexandra, you mentioned being born in Vladivostok, your background in the Russian Federation, moving around the world to learn. And then we ended that first segment on the definition of two terms, passion and love, and you seem to distinguish a distinctive difference between the two. Can you clarify that for the listening audience so that they could better understand? Uh, the difference between the passion and love, you mean? Yes, when applied to mastering and playing a musical instrument. Well, passion is, uh, for example, um, when someone wants to uh, play, uh, learn how to play the instrument, for example, and uh, they just desire the impulse, uh, and it doesn't last for a long time. But love is the feeling which um, leads you to your goals, and you have your uh, how to say. Uh, for example, you not it's <laughs> good question. Let me think. Um, yeah, the love is the feeling which leads you to um, to do it for. For example, for the rest of your life, 
it's not just for a short period of time. It's not hobby. For example, uh, hobby is what we're doing um, with passion. Because we love it, we enjoy it, but for this particular moment, for example. But what you do for your whole life is uh, coming from love, I believe. You had a myriad of instruments to draw from, particularly stringed instruments. You've hinted at the reasons why you directed your attention to the violin. Can you clarify that? Why the violin over and above so many other choices? Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to explain it in detail because I never... There was never a moment where I actually sat at the table and thought what instrument I want to play and why. I just know that, for example, when I heard piano uh, as a baby, my sister, my elder sister, she started to play piano. And um, I definitely didn't like not her playing, but just the sounds of that instrument. And even though I was listening to cello, I um, probably understood that it's a great uh, instrument and it sounds lovely, but I just took violin and I never asked my parents to give me something else to try. Uh, like many children, they try, while studying the music school, they are trying a few, uh, several instruments to play and understand how it feels like. But I, even though I saw uh, different instruments uh, when I came to the school, but I never even wanted to try to play it. So probably to me, it's just the best tool to express myself. And this is what suits my feelings, my hands, my, um, probably, even like physical issues, because I can't imagine myself playing cello, for example, I have quite a small hand, so uh, like tiny fingers, and it's not really, I think it's not really uh, appropriate for cello, and I have probably no enough, not enough physical um, strength to play cello or uh, bigger instruments. And um, violin is just perfectly suits me, suits me and uh, what I want to say. For example, when now, even now when I look at piano and my piano friends playing, I'm trying to imagine what if I played, what if I picked piano uh, when I was a child. But I don't feel that I would be able to express everything what I want to say to my audience if I played piano. But violin, uh, even like talking about technical issues, we can vibrate, we can play, and uh, we can produce a variety of different sounds, vibrations, uh, different, I don't know, like it's just hard to explain because I never, uh, never thought about what instruments 
I just knew that. <laughs> I just felt that. That um, is the perfect definition. That's the perfect explanation. So, paraphrase, uh, Lord Byron said that I can't explain it. You have to feel it. He was talking about love and revolution and romanticism. The way you've just described it is perfection in and of itself. We tend in this country to use a bit of hyperbole when we describe people. We'll say they're masters of their instrument, that Heifetz is a master of his instrument. Do you believe anyone can master, truly master, their instrument? Um, master the instrument. Um, if we're talking about um, technical sites, uh, yes, I can imagine that it's possible. Like, um, I allow such possibility that technically someone can be as, like, just so great in playing and feeling the instrument. Um, that, yes, it is possible, like talking about violin in particular, I think it is possible that there are and there were people who can play whatever, <laughs> like everything. So, yes, it is possible, in my opinion. I would look forward to the occasion of attending the Gershwin this year and perhaps uh, meeting you on a personal basis and listening to your art and the way you present it. I've always asked the same type of question to various artists, whether they be musicians, painters, poets, writers. Do you feel that your music has become so personal that upon listening to it, the audience knows something about you? Is your presentation highly personal and distinctive, are you sharing that soul one so easily talks about? Of course. Yes, totally agree. And, uh, when um, I go to the stage and when I perform, I always talk to my audience. It's not just about show, go to the stage, perform, and uh, make people listen to these particular instrument or this particular piece. It's about conversation between the performer and the audience. And uh, the performer is the speaker, but we speak through our instruments, through sound, through pieces which were written before or maybe you improvised it yourself. But this is the way of talking with people without words. And uh, when I perform, I'm trying to be as sincere as possible to open my soul widely to people and to tell them my story, my feelings, my thoughts. And I remember one of these um, memorable uh, performances I've had was in Seoul. I went to South Korea and I had I played recital. Uh, in Ceramic Palace Hall, and for the encore, I played Rachmaninoff vocalies. And um, I didn't play it because it's a great showpiece, no. But I just picked that piece because that was my um, condition of my soul at that moment, you know. 
because my dad passed away and um, I just played this. Uh, I tried not to tell everyone about my pain, but I was playing for him. I just dedicated, uh, inside of my head, I didn't say anything, but I just dedicated that particular performance, that particular piece, to my uh, dad, who passed away a few years at that moment. It's been already a few years. Uh, but I just expressed my pain, my sorrow through this piece. And... You know, after the recital, people came up to me and a few people asked me, did you play this about uh, someone who probably passed away? And I was really shocked that they got it. You know, they, some, uh, some, like, some people, they understood that, that it was clearly about someone who passed away. It's not just dramatic love or not just, something else like problems in my life they just clearly heard that so it was a great moment I cannot even be thankful enough that people heard that people got it and that was the moment that I realized okay I'm in the right direction direction uh, of music development and I'm doing something not just for me to become famous or anything, but I'm on the right direction because people hear me. People hear my thoughts, my feelings. So this is the most precious, I guess, in what we are doing, like musicians. That's a marvelous description of an emotional moment that's classical in its intent. I'm reminded of a performance Nureyev argued was a pan, a prayer to his mother, and he danced so differently that night. Have you ever found a way to return to those pinnacle moments, Alexandra? Or does one have to just wait, and if they come, they do, and if they don't, well, we'll be patient do you mean, uh, did, have I tried to uh, go to that moment, you mean the uh, successful performance or what? It would seem very difficult, if not impossible, to recreate a specific pinnacled moment that is so perfect in intensity and technique and passion and emotion. It would be so difficult to go back there and find it again. Do you just let it happen? You know, what is precious about our uh, profession and what we are doing is the precious of, uh, like, of the moment. It's live performance. This is uh, what uh, is very special about uh, our profession because we cannot repeat something the same, you know what I mean? Like a hundred percent the same what we just did. This is the special um, about live performance. Like we are not machines; we cannot repeat it. And I mean, I don't mean that we cannot repeat it at all. But I mean those particular feelings and uh, 
when we are playing, when we are performing, and we're thinking about something. We can repeat the same piece, we can repeat the same conversation uh, with the audience, but it will be different. Slightly or totally, but it will be different, for sure. It's like if you ask the artist to uh, recreate the painting, a hundred percent, like to copy the painting he already uh, done. It's impossible. It's a terribly interesting way to describe things. We're within three minutes, Alexandra, of another station break. I'm just wondering, perhaps, as a segue into another aspect of our discussion, you have an incredibly eclectic background, Russian by adopted culture, Korean genetically by heredity, by family perhaps, and now you're in the States. Has all of this lent a certain distinctive color to your appreciation and understanding and expertise with music? Has your music become a porridge of varying styles and places? Okay, yeah. Um, do you want me to talk now, or you have a break now? We have about two minutes. I'll give you okay. about 20 seconds when we have to break, so not to worry. Okay. Um, yeah, my eclectic cultural background is... Um, of course, it, um, it's affected me and my... Uh, what I'm doing and the way I I feel and live because even though I'm Korean but since I was born in Russia and grown there I feel Russian <laughs> so I don't feel like Korean because it, like I never lived in Korea I don't even speak that language so my mentality is totally Russian and I'm actually very glad that I was born in that country because, for example, the elusive concept of the, that Russian soul, uh, I'm, I'm sure that you heard about that, uh, it can be fully understood by Russian-born people only, in my opinion. Uh, not because it's so like <laughs> special, we are so special, no, but because it's so deep. It's not just about... Uh, like, for example, those stereotypes about Russian people who drink <laughs> a lot of vodka and uh, we have bears on the streets. No, it's uh, much deeper. And um, it's helped me. It, it helped me when I play Cantolina, for example. You cannot learn how to play, but it's um, that Russian soul and that spirit of Russian soul uh, is leading me and telling me what to do and how to do that because when you play slow parts for example like cantalinas you cannot be taught how to do that what is uh, right what is wrong but it's just about your soul singing and what you are thinking about is the question of your own experience mentality and of course talent and um yeah it's a uh, world like I don't know, known fact that Russians are different from other people. And Russian composers, if you listen to Russian music, 
Russian symphonies and concerti. Um, Alexandra, we're going to have to take the break. Now, please hold that thought. It's quite lovely. We'll be back in a few moments. My name is Robert. The program is Seldom Said. This is Seldom Said with Robert Amato. We're unfortunately in the last segment of what has proven to be a quite interesting discussion with Ms. Alexandra Lee. As we've said earlier, a mistress of the violin, a progenitor of an art form that needs to be heard to be appreciated. You've mentioned this idea of the Russian soul, and it is virtually impossible to explain it and understand it, Alexandra. I'm reminded of uh, Yevgeny Yevtushenko, the poet who simply said, East or West home is best, and this is where I am. Does that play a role, that appreciation of soul and inward feeling? Does it play a role no matter where you are on this planet and playing? Sorry, can you repeat this question? Most certainly. Is that uh, a tincture, a coloration? Is your palate Russian? Whether you're playing something that is classically German, French, Italian, do you bring your Russophile nature to it to make it yours and distinctive? Um, I... Uh, <laughs> this is a good question. <laughs> um, I don't try uh, specifically to bring my Russian um, heritage heritage to uh, the music, for example, to German, French music. But, of course, I'm pretty sure that uh, when I play different genres, different uh, composers uh, from uh, different countries, I mean, um, I'm pretty sure that, of course, I... I'm bringing something to this music. Uh, I mean, Russian, not style, but uh, how to say that? What's the word for it? Like, um, yeah, yeah. So uh, this is the example. Uh, like, for example, if uh, the performer from I don't know, like, even from Korea and me will play. Bach or Beethoven will play differently. Not because of the uh, school we started, uh, teachers we started with, but because of our own mentality and personality. We see differently. So we'll play differently. And um, yeah, I'm not, do- I'm not doing it uh, on purpose. Like, I'm not trying to uh, play everything in Russian ways, like with Russian mentality, because it's not appropriate. There's different genres, different composers ask for different uh, approach to it. But still, mentality is uh, always in inside of me. And, yeah, my point of view is Russian, I guess. <laughs> well said. Are you able to sublimate your own technique and thoughts, feelings inward and outward when you play in chamber? If indeed you do? Um, of course, yes. Chamber music is uh, uh, just absolutely different uh, from, for example, solo performance or uh, definitely from ch- uh, orchestra performance. So chamber uh, my favorite chamber ensemble is piano trio, and when 
I play with two other uh, people, two other different instruments. Uh, I am trying to sublimate everything I know, everything I learned, but at the same time, I'm trying to be together with them. And this is not solo, and I understand it clearly that this is ensemble, and we should be one whole thing. It's not like three different people just playing together, but it's about to become one whole thing, uh, all of us together. And this is a great, um, uh, uh, a great opportunity to uh, be like part of something, not that big like orchestra, but to be part of music. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it. Music creation. And I'm understanding that I'm not alone there, but I'm sharing my experience, my uh, knowledge and my skill with other people. And we are making music all together. And it doesn't depend just on me, but from uh, like depends on all of us. And this is a great moment. I, that's why I love playing piano trio, for example. You mentioned your love of playing trio, your love of playing music. What are your memories of the Gershwin competition? Um. <laughs> Gershwin competition, uh, I heard about this competition when, uh, like, one month prior to the beginning of the competition, to be honest. And my teacher told me about that, like, you have to fly there, it's a great competition. And uh, I've never played anything uh, Gershwin before in my life. And um, I actually learned uh, a few pieces specifically special for this competition and I had just one month and of course it's a short period of time to prepare uh, for the international competition but I see that it was kind of tricky, it was a challenge to me as a professional but uh, I worked hard before that and I learned a great piece uh, of my professor Albert Markov Porgy Rhapsody violin and orchestra with, uh, like, I played with piano, of course, but it's a great music, in, and he wrote this uh, piece uh, based on a Gershwin uh, Rhapsody in blue. So that was a great experience to me because I never played such music before, and uh, yes, memories of that competition is, was, is uh, that it was tricky, first of all. I uh, Words a lot about that, and uh, it was my second competition in New York, being in New York, and I understood that it's a lot of responsibility um, when I go on the competition. I have to um, show everything I can, so I cannot just go and to uh, like fail on the stage because I'm the new person in in this country, and I have to tell people uh, that I'm, like, I'm worth 
of uh, your attention and, and worth, um, like, <laughs> how to say, uh, that I have this particular level of playing. And uh, my professor told me, as you are in you here, you have to uh, be always uh, ready to 150%, ready to play whatever people will ask you. And because if you will fail, for example, even once, people will not invite you anymore. People will not want to go to your performances and hear your playing. So this is a lot of responsibilities for me as a new uh, person in this place, in this country. If you were to change hats for the moment, what criteria would you personally be looking for if you were the judge? Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been in a jury in, like so far, but I think if I will, if I ever will be judging violence, my main criteria will be individuality, along with quality of playing, of course, sense of different genres, uh, musicianship. But in my opinion, individuality is the most important thing in everything, not just in music, but in life in general. Especially nowadays, when there are hundreds of players, uh, good players, good performers, and everyone is, pretty much everyone is trying to become a solid, besides good sounds, uh, and brilliant technique and great intonation, you must be unique. Like, for instance, artists, my favorite period of, is Renaissance, like Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Santi, Tizian, Giorgione, even though they are from the same era, but each of them is unique and absolutely different from the other. And this is how it must be among performers. Because you cannot just learn uh, the same repertoire everyone is playing now and uh, count that you will get a great career and you will become a world-famous soloist. Because it's not enough just to play well. You have to be unique. You have to offer something unique to the audience so they will pay attention to you. There is that correlate expression that, whereby Beethoven always inferred that he lived music and he was constantly composing. Is composition in your future, Alexandra? Do you intend to do it? Composing? Indeed, yes. Um, I've never composed uh, yet, but I, I think... At some point of my life, I will I will compose, but not in the near future for sure. Because to compose, it's so different from performing. Because it's like writing a book. You have to have a lot to say, not just now. Like for example, when I said uh, earlier, when I go to the stage and I talk to my audience, it's different. It's just a conversation. But when you are composing something, you uh, 
it's not just conversation for this uh, particular moment. It's uh, the heritage you leave for the uh, for people and uh, for the whole world, basically. So you have to have a lot to say. You have to be mature enough. You have to be experienced enough. And I don't feel that I'm. I have it now. So maybe I will compose when I get older, but not now. <laughs> Are you saying that at 26 your story is not long enough yet? Uh, 21, sorry? Are you saying that your story is not long enough now? No, I'm saying violin less than 20 years. Like, it's been 19 years, and um, compared to masters, uh, for example, like <laughs> composers and uh, performers, it's nothing for in the music world. Like I have experience, some experience, but compa- comparing to my current teacher Albert Marcus, it's nothing. And I understand it clearly that I have a lot to learn, and we always learn, of course. But there are so many things and knowledge I uh, get to learn and I get to know and uh, stage experience. So even when I when I look back in my life, for example, five years uh, late, uh, five years earlier, who I was uh, and what I could do, what I could play, and now comparing those two levels, I understand clearly that it's just so different from what I am, who I am now. So, of course, I understand that if I'll uh, continue this and hopefully I'll do uh, better and better and in 30-ish years, for example, it will be uncomparably better and more mature than now. So, composing music, it's... Uh, to me, I, I wasn't born as a composer, so that's why I say so. You know, I was I, I was always performing, but composing is not my main gift if I have it, for example. I hope I have it, but even if I have this gift to compose, I don't feel that I have enough uh, knowledge and experience to compose so far. I am uh, improvising, yes. But uh, I'm not writing it down. Improvising it's just for, basically, for fun. (laughs) That's interesting. You're very honest in describing yourself, your techniques, and your talent. We're within three minutes of the end of this marvelous program. I'd love to hear from you again in the future. But perhaps uh, two or three more questions, if we have time to squeeze them in. You mentioned that you didn't feel you had the capacity or the nuance for composition at this stage in your life. Do you feel that interpretation is in its own way composition? Interpretation? Um, well, uh, you mean the interpretation of existed uh, pieces, for example, right? Indeed. If you were to play Sextet from Lucia, you would play it a certain way but the nuance of that piece would unalterably be yours. You've changed it, bent it. Is that in its own way composition? 
Are you selling yourself short when you say you're incapable of it? Well, interpretation is different from composing because you, uh, your goal is to interpret uh, something what's already, what's already written by someone and your uh, goal is to read it your way. So this is uh, like coming back to what I say about individuality, about being unique. Uh, when you're playing uh, the piece, you have to do it differently from others. So this is uh, the question about individuality. And uh, if you cannot... Uh, offer anything personal when you play something. That means that you don't have personality, like you don't have your own opinion about something. And um, yeah, when you read the new piece, when you learn the new piece, you have to already have the, the picture of what you're playing about. And uh, for example, if you don't have any idea uh, what this music is about? It you gotta read the books, for example, about this. Like you have to find the materials, uh, for example, about this composer or about this uh, particular uh, composition, what he wrote about. But first of all, you have to uh, work with your imagination, Alexandra. I must unfortunately intrude. That is the type of interesting answer that would lend itself to a second program, of course, at your discretion. But for the moment, uh, we thank you, Alexandra Lee, the mistress of the violin, an artist, for the time, the effort, and as we say, spasiba Bolshoi. Thank you. This is Seldom Said. My name is Robert. Robert.